Now I wish we hadn't gone and destroyed it Cause I was thinking we could pull another weekender You still got a little bit of clairvoyance This is the Hood Rat Recap. We want to be the most steadiest of your Hold Steady podcasts. I am uh, Mike from St. Paul. St. Paul must be the unluckiest saint of them all. And I'm joined, as always, with the King of Queens, Gasper. Say hello, Gasper. How's it going? It's going. And then, Gasper, I don't know, you might be like me, kind of confused. We heard a little Weekenders, because that's what we're talking about today is the Weekenders. And then we heard a little not Hold Steady, Hold Steady adjacent song. That's because we have a very we have a very special guest today. It's uh, Dave Woodcock, and the song we heard was from uh, Dave Woodcock and the Dead Comedians, and that song was called "At the Pharmacy." And I don't know about you, Gasper, but that one kind of it reminds me a little bit of uh, the ER as an afterbar kind of vibe <laughs> to it. That's kind of got the same vibe to it. <laughs> and I'm digging these guys. Me too. They they sound very hold steady adjacent. Uh, and what we're going to talk about them a little later in this episode here. So, all right, let's get into this. So, what we're we kind of had to separate this. We get into a pretty deep. Uh, we get into a pretty deep night one here of the weekenders over there in London. So we're going to cover that today, and then right after that, we're going to jump into our probably first and last film review. We're going to review a little movie called Stuck Between Stations. So let's jump right into uh, Dave. Hang on a second. <laughs> so joining us today is Dave Woodcock. He's a magician, magician, magician himself. <laughs> That's stupid. He's a mystic magician. Maybe he is good at magic. I don't know. <laughs> but he's got a he's got a little band called uh, Dave Woodcock and the Dead Comedians. Uh, and uh, and I, I like that sweatshirt. You're wearing a little Minneapolis sweatshirt there. The replacements. So uh, That's, I, yeah. I, <laughs> do they have a big following over in England too? Or? Um, I don't think I've met. I, I know a couple of people who are Matt's fans, but I didn't really meet anybody else who liked them until I saw the reunion shows that they did. Um, so they were kind of a, a bit of a, you know, a secret pack. Well, you know, anyone who came in contact with me, you know, at my house would be forced to listen to some replacements but um you know i i, I didn't know any uh, kind of big uh, well, replacements well that's that's kind of fitting that they're underground in england because believe it or not they're actually pretty underground in america <laughs> not, no, not everybody part, part of the charm i think it's like a little you know you know the little secret band that you pass on to people and go you know you're gonna you, you'll really like these guys <laughs> <laughs> so Oh, and it's Mike again here. I should mention, we start out with an oopsie right away. We recorded this over three different time zones across the pond into UK. So we had a little freeze up here, but we started talking about the first song of the sound check, Unpleasant Breakfast. So let's join that already in progress. Um, so it was, it was good to hear. It was much better to hear uh, 
with you know a couple of thousand people in attendance rather than fifty, but uh, <laughs> it was it was still a, a nice opening salvo for the sound check. Absolutely, and that would be the unofficial uh, debut of the Woos in uh, the Woos, yeah, in England actually, right? That's I first. mean. It, uh, Four, four o'clock in the afternoon after most people traveling, the woos were a little subdued. Subdued woos? Are you listening, Craig? Subdued woos? Well, it was fun. On my feed, I was, I was listening to the live feed, and I think it was the, it was just like band camp. You could hear the band really well, but you couldn't hear the crowd at all. So I didn't actually hear the woos. Did you hear them, Gasper? Right. I didn't actually. The, you're right. The you didn't really get the crowd. There wasn't as like you say. There wasn't a lot of people there. Well, not that there wasn't a lot of people there. It's it's a much less uh, crowded room at that point. It's what would you say about uh, 150 people in, for the sound check? Yeah. Oh, less than that. It's about, yeah. about 50, 50 if there's you know. right. They're always more intimate than that, which is awesome. It's a different experience altogether. Um. And you know what we should mention? Uh, so they had the horn steady there for that as well. Uh, yeah, yeah. Which was kind of cool. I've never seen that, I don't think, at a, uh, at a sound check party. That was kind of cool. They went all out for this sound check, I tell you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Fun. Um, and then they go into Heavy Covenant. Yeah, and another real favorite of mine off the, off the new one. Uh, and that, was, that sounded yeah, fantastic with the, with the horns. Um, yeah, I really, I really love that tune. So I was kind of going, all right, you know, kind of decompressing a little bit here, and this, this is going to be a good time, I think. Right, and then uh, we go. Uh, so basically, then they, they go into the Q and A, uh, which was mostly about. Uh, they talked a little bit about COVID and how that affected things, and um, you know, pretty much that unpleasant breakfast is new music to everyone at this point, even though it's been out for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they jump into a brand new song which you got to see for the first time. Like, tell us about that. Well, we kind of uh, collectively hold our breath and go, God, I hope this is good. <laughs> uh, it, well, I mean, it kind of flew by, uh, but got kind of nice kind of, um, kind of backing vocals. Uh, very, I mean, struck me instantly. Like a hard guitar, hard driving tune. I was like, all right, this has almost killed me. Separation someday kind of stuff um but with that kind of um kind of instant switch to you know maybe like a major chord or a like rousing chorus bit i was like yeah this, this is good you know and took it in i heard it i think three maybe four times over the weekend um by the kind of not to get ahead of ourselves but by the last night you know yeah. everybody in the crowd was singing along to it. i was like yeah this is going to be a this is going to be a standard, I think. A bit like Entitlement Crew was uh, That's, initially. That, I was getting right. Entitlement Crew. The first time they played it, and I heard it on the stream, I was getting Entitlement Crew vibes off it. But then, like, the last time they played it, like you said, it sounded a lot harder to me. Is that, I don't know, maybe that's just the way I interpreted it. But uh. I remember them saying that they were initially, I think, if I remember right, they were going to play a, another one which may be this other one, Llama, that they, they played. And Franz was like, I, I haven't quite got the keyboard part down for this yet. So, And then they kicked into Bloodbath. I think I'm remembering that right. I think you're right. I think that's how I heard it, yeah. And from there, uh, we jump back into the Q&A. Um, Tad talks a bit about... Uh, it was, the question that was posed was uh, influences now. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, and, and how... Um, 
that changed. And <laughs> Tad jokes he doesn't have any influences anymore, but besides Lynn Lizzie and, and Springsteen. Um, and I think Craig used an awesome term. He says, yeah, we, we pretty much, uh, we, we steadify those, those things now, which I, I love that, that term. Yeah. And I think Franz, Franz came in and said like, um, you know, we don't, we, something like we don't talk about influencing, you know, we just, we all have our collective things that we're coming from, but we play whole steady music. And that's, you know, I think that got a little cheer from the crowd. Up. <laughs> <laughs> from right. Uh, and I think Tad said uh, something to the effect of uh, Josh Kaufman, their producer. Uh, what where he got into change was the uh, playing strats, which he's not normally a strat guy, and yeah. clean guitars, um, which is true. I mean, that's you could hear that in the new, the newer stuff, and it's it does it does change the music a bit in, in a positive way. I think. Um, yeah, it doesn't lose anything uh, um, kind of dynamically. I think, or, or you know. It's heavy when it needs to be heavy, when it's light when it needs to be light. It's, uh, you know, I think we've got a, a really good thing going at the moment with this lineup. Right. And then, uh, so then we're back into another song with Family Farm. Yeah. Uh, one they played quite a bit uh, at the last weekend. Um, I think uh, definitely a kind of. Thinking back to it now, probably my impression was, you know, let's play these um, for the, you know, let's let the homesteady have a bit of a, a practice because right. quite a, a brass heavy tune. Um, they seem like they, they got to pretty almost the whole record. Um, I didn't, I didn't get to hear. We'll talk about the Moth Club shows later. I, I know they played some of those songs that I didn't get to hear over the weekend, um, but I think that's a, that's obviously a focus of them for all the cities they played so far. That they're looking to play the whole record. Uh, you know, record, which is awesome. And what does is fantastic record. Okay. <laughs> uh, so then uh, we have another question: uh, favorite London shows? Which I'm dying to get out to one of these London shows, and I've never done it. And uh, you guys look like you had such a great time. Um, well, we're, we're the same. You know, we want to come come out to Brooklyn and do uh, some of the US shows. So, you know, the, the grass is always greener. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever, have you ever been to? Uh, to the Brooklyn shows, yeah, yeah, no. okay, it's yeah, I definitely come out, man. They're, they're a good time. Um, so they say, uh, and these are places that you would know better than me, uh, Roundhouse, Bush Hall, uh, Borderline, um, yeah. Um, I've never been to Borderline, so I actually saw the replacements at the Roundhouse, that's a cool venue, um, on the reunion tour, not originally. Uh, uh Bush Hall is where they did uh, the last. Uh, the third night of the last weekend of pre-pandemic. And those are smaller venues, bigger venues? Bush Hall is small, yeah. Uh, every time they do the Sunday night, which is kind of, a, you know, quote-unquote, a bit of an exclusive one, it's yeah. a small venue. So Oslo, Bush Hall, uh, and I'm sure we'll get to it, but the one, the Moth Club was small. Right. And Intimate. In this electric ballroom, the the camera angle they used really reminded me of the Brooklyn Bowl. Did you get that feel at all, Gasper? The camera yeah, angle. So that venue reminds me a lot of Brooklyn Bowl. Because um, the I walls was, on the Heather left and, there. Yeah. Right. Heather and I were talking and, and we were saying that it, it almost looks identical except for the fact that it doesn't have the bowling alleys. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. It's yeah. A larger, <laughs> it almost appears to be a larger room. It does. It looked huge. We, 
we ran the numbers on it, and they're pretty much identical. It's a, it's a fifteen hundred person capacity. Yeah, it's it's, and I'd never been there before the first weekend that I went to, and I was, um, you know, I was pleasantly surprised by it. I thought it was a, a nice little venue, and obviously the guys in the band really like it there. Right. Uh, but in terms of the, of the camera angles and stuff, it's the same um, guys that were doing the that were shooting it that shot the um, the Brooklyn Bowls ones. Right, they hook up with fans, I think. Um, mm-hmm. So it's got to be the same. That that, that makes sense. Yeah, I, I met the guy, uh, the guy that um, leads it after the Saturday show, and he's you know he's come over with them. He does the Brooklyn Bowl ones too. Cool. They uh, they do a great job with the stream too because um, I just watched the benefit they did and that was a clunkier stream it was it was harder to get working <laughs> but fan seems to have it all figured out um, and the and the fifteen hundred person venue I I think that's their sweet spot because uh, we we were looking at First Avenue in Minneapolis and that's about the same yeah really yep. different layout to the to the place but it's it's the same capacity that's the but. Right, and then they move on from the song to uh, that was from London shows. Uh, they so then Michael asks, which producer, dead or alive, uh, would they want to be produced by? And we got Guy Stevens, who's the producer. Yeah, about the I was the one that they couldn't recollect the name. I was the guy shouting out. Uh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> And when he when he said when he when he asked the question, my mind that's an interesting question. My mind instantly went, Guy Stevens, because <laughs> uh, I don't know I don't know if you know too much about uh, Guy Stevens, legendary English producer, The Clash and Mark Hoople. Right, that'd be perfect. Yeah. And then the next question was, uh, where do the ideas come from? Meaning lyrically, I guess the storyline stuff and like that, where the inspiration for that comes. And uh, Craig cited a Jeff Tweedy book, "Letting Things In," which I now want to read. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sorry, my notes are a little. Here we go. Uh, they follow up that question with uh, one whole steady song. They wish they played more, which was. I like that question because that's something we talk about a lot on uh, the last couple episodes is songs that don't get played much. Yeah. And um, <laughs> they answer that by playing Guys Go For Looks, <laughs> which I don't yeah, know first, what to answer because they play that a lot. They play that a lot, yeah. <laughs> first, time I've heard, first time I've heard it. Uh, oh, wow. First time I've seen it live, yeah. Okay. Or as, as we say over here, um, girls, girls go for status. <laughs> Status, yeah. Doesn't track quite well, though. <laughs> so was that the last song then, Gasper? Uh, no, they go into Chicago Seems Tired, uh, which was awesome to see in that kind of setting. That's usually like a much, you know, loud, Towards more, the the more of a banger, and, and yeah. it was nice to see it in the intimate setting. Um, what'd you, how was that to see? <laughs> Uh, it's one of my favorite songs. I mean, th- I mean, the whole of Separation Sunday is one long, brilliant song to me. But uh, yeah, always great to hear that one. Um, and then we ended up with uh, Massive Nights and Sequestered in Memphis was the last two songs that they played. Yeah, again, I think to kind of run the guys, uh, Paul and Rob, I think. Uh, Paul and Rob, I think they're called. Uh, so the, the Hornsteady UK, to the uh, give them a bit of a 
pre-gig run through some of that stuff. Uh, yeah, it's that's an amazing network of musicians they got too, because it's it's a few different musicians in each in each area, and like it's it's they're a great addition to the, to the band. Oh yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, really, really live. So I was looking again at, at some of the live stream last night, and uh, yeah, some of their uh, kind of contributions to it really pop when you kind of sit and listen when you're not in the kind of live environment just kind of right. digging the, the the band it's like yeah i really like to see the the hold steady embrace in the horns because you know they kind of started out in the indie scene and when they were bringing in a saxophonist for the first album somebody goes what are you guys you guys going to play the the night court uh theme song what are you guys doing because the horns were so out at that time you know at that or the yeah. early 2000s and so it's, it's great to see them back i think you know Now let's get in. Let's get into night number one. I, I believe it was March fourth. Mm. Um, so about a week ago, as we're recording this, and um, right. and English teachers the opener there on that show. Right? Yeah. Okay. I actually didn't get to catch them. Uh, how was I, I caught the uh, the last few songs. They were pretty, yeah, pretty good. Kind of really nice. Um, um, kind of bass heavy indie rock, as far as I can remember, called Front Woman. Uh, okay. Yeah, they are. Uh, so usually the opener is uh, more local to where they're playing. Are, are they popular there, English teacher? Never heard of them before. Uh, be, I'll be honest, not heard of them before. They uh, before I saw them uh, announced and uh, saw them on stage. Okay. Yeah, they go and with a lot they, of unknown uh, openers. I see. I think too, kind of like Minneapolis. So I've seen it both ways. Uh, there's been some good acts in in Brooklyn Bowl, like. If you're familiar with Ezra Furman. Yeah, I love Ezra, yeah. Yeah, that was a lot of fun to see. Um, Titus Andronicus, I love Titus. Yep, and, uh, I, I saw Titus and Patrick. together, which was great. And um, uh, who was the... You saw Michael oh, Imperioli. <laughs> yes, I saw Michael Imperioli. He's famous, but not for um, music, yeah. No, but it's it's the name's escaping me right now, but there's a, uh, there's, there's a guy from England actually just put a record out, uh, which is an amazing... Oh, Frank Turner. Uh, yeah, yeah. performed, which was that was a great show. He, that show was crazy because he literally like landed, flew over from the airport right to the venue and played, and like you could see he was almost out of breath. Yeah, <laughs> no, I, I don't know if he's on tour or, or something. I, I he wasn't. I didn't see him there at any of the shows. So he was there at the uh, at the Bosch Hall. No, the Oslo show. I remember talking to him at the Oslo show, but. Uh, Nice. Yeah, he's uh, he's someone that I still need to really kind of dig into. He seems to kind of like his clash and the, and the whole steady stuff. Somebody that I really should. That new record is, if you get a chance to listen to it, is awesome. Um, he actually he he admits that he he kind of borrows heavily from the whole steady on this new record. Um, mm. <laughs> he says, but it's okay because Craig's endorsed it. But there's one song on that record that like it could be cattle in the creeping things. It's it's very very close. So so night one, like we said, March fourth, so it looks like they, they start out with a constructive summer, which is a good <laughs> which they often start out with. 
Oh. Yeah, they, uh, just to, just before that, they come on to. I went, is this fucking Barry Manilow? And then yes. real that it, it was. Like it looks it. like we made it, and a, a tear almost dropped. Uh, <laughs> usually, I cry every reason when Barry Manilow comes on. But uh, yeah, that was a great one to walk on to and then straight into Constructive Summer. I think that's how they're kicking off this whole tour, too, because they did that in Minneapolis and they did it right, in okay. New York as well. Well, it's been Barry Manilow every time. I didn't realize that. I knew it was a lot. But well, I... you know, it's, it's, we're, we're coming back from COVID in all, in all these cities and, like, that's the message. Oh, they, they well, want to I get see. it. You know, Looks like we made it. Yeah. Um, and I think that going... They should, have done, they should have probably played it on the last night, though. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, that's a good point. That's the big one to make it to, yeah. <laughs> so, and then it looks like they play, what, one, two, three, four, five songs before they bring the horn steady out. So, yeah. constructive, Great. swish. Salvo, yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, you got, yeah, you get the swish, uh, you can make them like you, lanyards, and magazines, which that uh, constructive summer to the swish was, uh, was pretty good. Um, that's not a one-two you normally get. No, no. I like that. Yeah, that was really cool. Then they bring out the horn steady, and uh, we get some spices, which was really cool. And then, yeah, uh, Craig, Craig at that point said, uh, this is where the band is getting spiritually right. Uh, yeah, he said, yeah. he also said, um, I think it was at one of the sound checks, uh, something that really stuck with me, that because um, outside... Bush Hall in twenty March twenty twenty. The last two faces apart from my fiance I saw uh, were Craig and Tad as I was saying goodbye to them and then we went into lockdown. Um, and <laughs> he said something during soundcheck that was something like it it feels like the timeline has corrected itself, which I really yeah. liked. That's um, cool. But Suddenly, you know, every, we took it kind of two years out, and, but now we're back on track. It was a really nice way of putting it. Right. <laughs> that's, I agree. I mean, that's my first show back from COVID. That's exactly how it feels. It's, that's what was missing. I mean, amongst a lot of other things, but I think that's the thing I wanted the most was these live shows back. Oh, yeah. And he's 100% right. So let me go into uh, Spices from the new record. Uh, Cattle and the Creeping Things, Unpleasant Breakfast, and Entitlement Crew. It's a yeah. nice little block there. And Cattle, especially listening back to the live stream last night, was just sounded awesome with the horns when it built up into the last bit. It just yeah. the crescendo of that was just awesome. Amazing. Yeah. And that's a song that you don't really associate with, like, getting the horns on because it's no it's, i mean it kind of by again bypassed me during the night and that's it yeah. and back to, i had headphones when i was watching it on the screen and i said oh man this is great you know mackenzie phillips doesn't live here anymore he's a that's one of my favorite well i say this all the time that's one of my favorite craig lines but i say that in every song i say that three times but yeah <laughs> i love that line <laughs> And then we go into, and then it was unpleasant breakfast. Now, were you able? Did the crowd do the woos? Because, like I was saying on the live stream, we couldn't really pick up the woos as much. Woos were there. Okay. Um, certainly, certainly down the front where we were, we were, we were wooing. Uh, you were uh, wooed over. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, yeah, absolutely fantastic. And as I said, you know, 
you know, but talking to people that I haven't I haven't seen for two years since the last weekend, the big consensus is that um, unpleasant breakfast and um, uh, lanyards, which are two of my favourites, are the you know the real kind of kick-ass songs on that record. Yeah, well, yeah. lanyards is so. Uh... I think it's underappreciated. I don't know. I, I love that song. I, love, I, I absolutely adore that song. Just amazing. So, okay. And then after the horn section, we kind of go into Sweet Part of the City, which they don't play that. You guys ever heard that live? I don't think I I think I've heard it maybe once. Uh, uh, um, well, the, um, yeah, we got we got Entitlement Crew, which has just become a classic. I love to hear that song. Uh, and then Sweet Part of the City was a real treat to hear. Um uh, that's a song I've got a lot of kind of emotional uh, attachment to uh, in terms of, I just remember a great, one, a, a great weekend uh, once in Manchester with two of my friends, Chris and Kate, and uh, we saw Hold Steady, Jesse Malin was supporting, I really like Jesse, uh, Gaslight Anthem were playing uh, a couple of days later. So it was like this epic weekend and um, Heaven Is Whenever had just come out. Um, we were staying on. Uh, yeah. We were staying in the sweet part of the city with the bars and the restaurants. What's Which that? one's that? I'll let you guys guess. Um, I could really that. live without the smidge. I could live the rest of my life without hearing that song. Really? <laughs> <laughs> I gotta confess, and I've always did you get Did you get the deluxe edition that came out? I think, was it last year? Yeah. I've heard it, uh, yeah. That, yeah. that second record of all the B-sides and outtakes is now my heaven is whenever. I think that is a brilliant record. Yeah, I, some of those songs are, I think are better than the, some of the songs that made it. Actually, <laughs> I think the whole record is better than Heaven Is Whenever, and I really like Heaven Is Whenever. But I think that that record now, when I reach for it, if I'm going to play it, I'll get I'll play that record before I play Heaven Is Whenever. Even though it's got some fantastic songs on the actual album, I just yeah. think that, that that's like a it's like a bonus old steady record that we. They gotta re- they gotta release an album of all their bonus tracks because some their bonus tracks are very strong, especially. Oh, Arms and hearts, I'm still going to hear live. I'm sure yeah. I'll dissolve into a puddle when they play that. Or They've played it quite a bit more. Um, I mean, it's definitely not in the in in the main songs that they're picking from, but I've heard it quite a bit um, over the last couple of years. So I think that's a lot of people are in agreement with you there. Uh, from that record, uh, a buddy of mine had mentioned. So they put out that. Um, what did they put out? The the Nashville show, I think. Um, over Bandcamp. Yeah, I think so. And he texted me and he's like, is it too much to ask to get a set list with a slight discomfort on it? I'm like, wow, you know what? That's a good point. I have not heard a slight discomfort since that record was new. They they used to play it live 
because I mean they're they're showcasing a new record. Obviously, they're going to play everything, but they yeah. haven't played it since then. And, and that's no, it is correct. In fact, the last time I heard that song, not live, but I was on my way uh, to get my first vac- vaccination, uh, <laughs> and that song came on Spotify in the car. Yeah. Wow. This, this, this is one that you might just feel a slight discomfort as I hope. That's an interesting Weekenders, which is also yeah. forever, and Sapphire. Yeah, Weekenders is another one that just makes you think of, uh, you know, of that kind of great weekend in, in Manchester, you know, we just went to loads of gigs and parties, and it's... and also just the fact, you know, I, I'm thinking we could pull another weekend just mm-hmm. after everything we've been through. Again, that was just a really, right. I think, emotional and one, an, uh, an obvious choice, but. Uh, and it's so the title just, track of the whole weekend too. The yeah, weekend. I was gonna say, does that become like like the the title track of the weekend? Like like Massive Nights becomes the title track for the the, the weekend in Brooklyn. Like, I mean, would, do they do like uh, do they play that song at every show in Brooklyn? I almost everyone, I think. So. Yeah, I mean, they only I think they only played. It. Pretty sure they only played Weekenders at the, at the first night. Oh, um, that's interesting. I thought they played every night. Okay. Yeah. But that's you know again. Is, that's, yeah. is that one that people are waiting to hear at that weekend? This one I was. Okay. Uh, it's not. It's not one that people kind of bandy, uh, kind of throw the throw the title around uh, right. very much. But um, uh, certainly one of my favourites. Cool. And then kind so... everyone knows, Everyone kind of does the um, you know. Um, Craig's uh, lyrics are like uh, if someone plays a fucking great guitar solo. So when he busts <laughs> out the track and everyone just goes, yeah. Agreed. Uh, <laughs> even though I, I, have to, I have to say um, I was I, really annoyed the first time I heard that song. I'd written a song that's on a, a record called Poison Nights and Bar and Lights. Uh, oh. kind of, I'd written it and demoed it and I think probably played it a couple of times uh at the studio uh and it's got a line in it i'm so happy with and it was i can't remember my own lyrics but i remember Craig's. um (laughs) uh, julia c was a beautiful mess she was a train wreck wrapped in a casino dress i was like yeah i like that and then i heard weekenders and he had the train wreck there she came in dressed like a train (laughs) 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 always one there were some bugs in the bar. There was a kid camped out by the coat shed. She said the theme of this party is the industrial age. You came in dressed like a train wreck. Uh, but yeah, that's, uh, you know, 
I think it's remarkable how his kind of lyrics are so. Uh, yeah, you see people down the, down the front, all ages, all kind of different uh, fans of different kinds of music, and uh, and rather kind of them being into that was an amazing guitar solo or that's a great chorus. People are just responding to individual lines and right. That, yeah. that's part of it. You know, I hate to throw the word genius around, but that's part of it. Genius as a songwriter. That's a good word, I think, for that. <laughs> I think it's a applicable. Yeah. So then after them. You got Yeah, Sapphire, Chips Ahoy, the song about a boy, a girl, and a horse. And then we go right back into the horn section again. Um, so we got Heavy Covenant, Sequestered in Memphis, Family Farm, and Massive Nights with the horn and steady. Quite wrong, yeah. So, and Heavy Covenant is, I, I always wait for that in a set, because the, the, I think I said this the last time we were talking about the record, and that song with the kick drum and, the, and you just see it in yeah. your head like everyone clapping along and yeah yeah that's and it's one of those uh, there's a lot of them on the on the new album that are and I, I don't know whether it's kind of a hangover from his right uh Craig's writing his um solo records and so they do have a, a definite different feel to earlier steady stuff yeah uh, but they have that heavy covenant certain they have these little moments they're not choruses but they're just Slight changes, like um, um, you know, yeah, I almost, know a little can go slide you, um, slide you falling into the airplane. Right? It suddenly just becomes a, a really a melodic bit that s- serves as a chorus, but isn't actually a chorus. I don't know what it is. It's just fantastic. Yeah, it's at the end. I of really this, love that song. At the end of that song, he kind of gives a little vignette of the song, like he almost resings the song, but mm. like in faster, little shorter sentences, and it's like it's like a recap, and you're like, oh yeah, yeah, that happened, that happened. <laughs> <laughs> that's really a different style for him, I think, on that song. Right. Okay, and then yeah. go ahead, go ahead, Caspi. Now, as I say, um, and I, 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 you make a great point there, where I think early on in Craig's solo career, you kind of hear where his writing is very influenced or informed by what he's done with the Hold Steady, and now I think we've hit a point where, where like this record is very informed by his solo stuff and you do hear a difference and it's it's really nice to hear the band grow that way because right? that's what that's what's going to keep a band around is them constantly evolving and absolutely i mean i don't I, you know i i don't think i'm kind of telling tales out of school or anything though but i certainly wouldn't want to speak for him but um, speaking to tad um on the saturday night um he was he was saying that um uh, listening to some of Craig's solo stuff, he was kind of shit, man. Why don't you bring this in for the for the band kind of thing? Uh, and and talking about how the hold steady, uh, you, you know, suddenly find themselves in a place where they're a, a forward uh, momentum for the creativity of the band, rather than just being, you know, coming out and playing. Right. You know, sequestered in Memphis, and you know, just playing all the hits, which are great. But I I just love where they're going, and I think you know. Um, this line having Steve and, and then getting trans back in has really re-energized them. Yeah, absolutely. And clearly, absolutely. I mean, they're, they're doing better than ever. I think this new album's up there with every, as good as anything they've ever done. Yeah. So then, from there, where we left off at Heavy Covenants, to Quest of the Memphis, Family Farm, Massive Nights, and that's going to end the horn section part. And we're into stuff between stations. Uh, yes. Yeah. Now we're into the big heavy late. hitters now. 
Yeah, you kind of know when Massive Nights comes out that we're, we're headed for the finish line now. Um, and everyone just goes crazy when Stuck Between comes on. Yeah. And, uh, you know, even, uh, you know, jaded uh, people like myself will go, I've heard that song a million times, and then when it kicks in, you're just like, God, oh, I love this song. <laughs> <laughs> but you're, if you look at the set list, you're getting, like, this is a hell of a set list, because you, you're from Family Farm, you go to Massive Nights, Stuck Between Stations, Hood Rat, Southtown, and Resurrection. Yeah. That's, like... You're exploding at that point. <laughs> yeah, um, South Town with uh, Franz on harmonica, just absolutely fan- yeah. fantastic. And um, and then into Resurrection. Yeah, the only way that could be better is if Crucifixion Cruise is preceding Resurrection. Yeah, the one-two punch there. Pretty but... solid, yeah. And just looking at at the way the set list breaks down, like it's they did, they don't take a lot of breaks on this particular set list. It's usually they. Every time I've seen them, it's like four to five songs, and then Craig's going to tell a story, or we're going to do something where it's like they kind of take a breather. And yeah, yeah. I mean, it was sweet part of the city through Resurrection. They played straight through. Yeah, they powered through, and I was waiting for the moment where they slowed it down and went, you know. So, and then now for the encore, you've got a four-song encore. Uh, the Feelers, Stay Positive with Mosh Pit, Josh, of course, and then Chicago seemed tired last night and. And then, of course, we end with killer parties. So, all heavy hitters in there. Where the yep. feel, the yep. feelers is kind of a slow song. They've been starting out their encore with slow songs lately. It seems like. Right. All right. <laughs> so then, yeah, I mean, it's no big surprise that you know, I'd have to say it was, it was a, a absolutely solid gig, and it was all over way too soon, but. You know, we had another two nights to go, so. Okay, so do you guys got any other thoughts on night one there? Just looking at it, it looks like it was just a fever pitch all the way through, man. Like, this is this is a hell of a set list. So, okay. And then, um, so then let's, before we go into night two, do you want to do, uh, talk about, you want to talk about Dave's music a little bit? Would that be all right, Dave? Sure. Yeah. Okay. So this is a, we're going to do this, this is a little section we like to call on our show. Wait, let's see if we can, see if you guys can hear this. This is a little segment we like to call. I'm the meatloaf to the Billy Joel. It's called Meatloaf to the Billy Joel, from the Meatloaf to the Billy Joel. And this is a section where we, we pick out music, where we usually have our guests pick out uh, music that they like, that would really translate good into the hold steady. But I'm going to insist you pick your own music here, uh, Dave. I'm not going to give. I'm not going to give you a choice. I want to hear some. I want to hear some Dave Woodcock and the and the Dead Comedians. Why can't I say that name? Um, okay. And just looking at the titles here, I think it is a really good crossover from from Meatloaf to the Billy Joel. Um, like looking at one of the songs is called uh, Since We're in March here. It's called uh, Sober on St. Patrick's. That sounds like a mm-hmm. old study song to me. <laughs> um. And then a few of the other, I like some of your titles. It looks like uh, your second album, Medicine, came out in 2015, so it kind of predates a few of these. But you have a song called uh, 33. Uh, I, know, I know that's about the LRPM, but uh reminds mm-hmm. me of... It was also, wrote, I wrote it on my 33rd birthday. Oh, so it would be Lord to be 33 forever. There you go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I think uh, me, yeah, there's a crossover between me and Craig. Lyrically, it's uh, kind of a bit of an obsession with... Um, 
um, growing up Catholic and also, um, you know, a bit of a party lifestyle, although <laughs> COVID put the brakes on that somewhat. So 33 is obviously, you know, it's the, the age at which our Lord and Saviour um, passed away, uh, was, was killed. Uh, uh, the speed at which a record goes around, and also I wrote it when I, on my 33rd birthday. Oh, sweet. And then, like I said, this album came out in 2015, so it kind of predates, but I see you have a song number four, it's called Open Door. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, I, again, I was like, he's, he's stolen again. He's stolen again? Uh, he's stealing all your best now stuff. Now we, we know Craig's secret, he gets all his stuff from Dave. <laughs> If, if only, if only. Uh, he could have it, you know. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, Dave, what what song? I hadn't thought of that before. That's, that's interesting. <laughs> so, let's hear a little. What song would you like us to play a little snippet of here? Is there one we can play a snippet of? How about Silver on St. Patrick's? Is that? Yeah, that's since, yeah. Since it's March here. <laughs> Excellent. So I can see. Uh, yeah, I think Craig is kind of stealing some of your lyrics there. It's, <laughs> um, that was Silver on St. Patrick's, and that, I thought that'd be a perfect one to play on March here. Um, yeah, so, and I noticed some of the other songs are, are you kind of, in, it sounds like a, I heard a, like a lot of American blues influence, or am I, or am I wrong, way off base sure. there? No, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, I mean. Uh, you know, you get the eternal question of, uh, like the whole study at the sound what, what what your influences are, you know, what, what what does your music sound like? And I always just used to say it's, you know, like, um, Ameri- you know, I just start to say it's like Americana rock and roll. Yeah, it's a big influence on that mix with um, kind of UK punk. So, you know, Clash, Dylan, Neil Young, Springsteen, all the, you know, all, all the, the big good hits. stuff. Yeah. Yeah, when I was checking it out, like it's there's a lot going going on there, man. Like there's you definitely hear the punk side of it. I there were parts over the songs that I kind of it's not rockabilly, but it's got that attitude. Sure, yeah. and that right, and you know what I mean. Like uh, a big a big touchstone for me going back to like Guy Stevens is uh, London Calling, which is just you know that's the Clash's third album and on it they're just touching any genre that they want they don't give a fuck about whether it's punk or it's what they want think you know every, me myself as the kind of main songwriter and everyone else in the band have got you know all these influences and we just kind of go oh, we'll play we'll play whatever we like <laughs> <laughs> uh, do you so, guys get to play the states much no no okay I, no, I was but, um, when, I know, heard, when I heard it. I said I'd love to see you guys live because you definitely. I'd, I'd love to. We've got, we've got, you know, we've got plenty, um, you know, people over there that 
you know, our friends and you know acquaintances that we kind of played with, and uh, it's just taking that opportunity to to kind of get it done. Yeah. Okay, so the, yeah, that was good stuff. So that again was a that's Dave's group, Dave Woodcock and the Dead Comedians. <laughs> Can't say that name, but uh, so that was that, and that was another episode of. The meatloaf to the Billy Joel, and that's it. And so let's so let's say goodbye to Dave right now. Uh, we talked about night one so long we couldn't fit night two and three into this episode, but that part will be coming up in a future episode in the next couple of weeks. Here, uh, right now, me and Gasper wanted to talk about, you know, on the last episode, the Brooklyn Bowl. We were talking about how Michael Imperioli's band opened for the Hold Steady, and we we're kind of discussing what was Michael Imperioli's. A connection to the hold steady and that's when we remembered that he was in the movie stuck between stations so me and gasper thought it'd be kind of fun to do a little our little first time movie review on that this episode we're going to talk about a little movie called stuck between stations and yes that's a <laughs> it sounds like a made-up thing but there is a movie called stuck between stations and um so why don't you start us off gasper what do you got to say about it so uh, it's a movie that came out in 2011, written by uh, Sam Rosen and Matt Bennett. And um, it doesn't star Michael Imperioli. He's in it. <laughs> uh, it's also got John Carnet and uh, Nadia, I'm going to say her name wrong, Nadia Dejini. Um, just a little bit about who those people are. So uh, Zoe Lister-Jones is the character Becky. She was in, uh, she's done mostly TV, New Girl, uh, Delocated. And she wrote, directed the movie The Craft Legacy. Uh, Josh Harnett, who plays Patty, um, you probably know him from uh, The Faculty, The Virgin Suicides, Lucky Dem Slevin. He was in uh, Black Hawk Down, and he was on the TV show Petty Dreadful. Michael Imperioli is Michael Imperioli. We all know who he is, uh, Sopranos fame. And uh, Nadia is also probably best known from TV. Uh, Sex in the City, she's been on episodes, Curb Enthusiasm, King Queens, Ugly Betty. The most interesting thing I found out about her is she sings uh, back vocals on Jimmy Fallon's album, The Bathroom Wall, which was interesting. Oh, um, wow. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so do you want to go into what the movie's about? Yeah, and um, I guess, so, oh, and we should tell everybody this movie is streaming free on Tubi. Is that how you watched it also? Um, yep. Yeah, it's streaming free on Tubi. I, I think there were some commercials, but it didn't seem like the movie was edited or cut it at all. It seemed like they were kind of the commercials kind of came on YouTube style where they just played the commercial and then it went right back into the movie. It wasn't like it wasn't like a TV adapted to TV cut or anything because they left the swear words in, which I don't think there was a ton. Um, just like so, I was just gonna say my um, so Sam Rosen, this this movie. Yeah, and I don't think we have to worry about giving away any spoilers because <laughs> it's not that it's not that kind of movie. I mean, the whole movie takes place um, in one night. And that's what kind of the big, um, which kind of reminds me of a Hold Steady song is because the whole movie is all these crazy things that happen in a one night period. Um, this is definitely, I, I think the movie could be a Hold Steady song. Like the characters are very much like that. It's, yes. And it's it, that feel. And according to IMDb, it is. They said it is um, 
the title is taken from the Hold Steady, the first Hold Steady song on the third album. It was kind of disappointing. The song was not in the in the movie. They didn't have the rights to it. I know the Hold right. the Hold Steady can be kind of funny about giving their rights out. It seems like I don't, you know, there's not too many times where you hear their music used. In, uh, I'm not sure how it works, uh, but I, it's it's clear that they were in that circle, right? Because you have atmosphere on the soundtrack. Uh, he does uh, should have known uh, puts that on the soundtrack, and that's definitely the the Minnesota circle of friends in in with Craig Finn and the, and the Hold Steady. Yeah, um, and you name the movie. Uh, he, he does say that it's the, the spirit of the song is is where he gets the title from. So he's definitely plugged into the whole study for sure. Uh, as far as the rights go, I'm not sure how that worked. Yeah, and so this this whole movie kind of came off to me. It's it's a very small movie. Um, it kind of came off to me as uh, as an a film film art student is his first movie. You know, like um, and and Sam Rosen. The the reason I originally heard about this movie. Is Sam Rosen? His dad is Mark Rosen, who is a long time, like decades, like forty years, was a, a sportscaster uh, for for our Channel Four News here, and um, and he and he's on this morning show, the K Fan, the sports uh, talk radio. Their morning show is more like a morning zoo. They forget to talk about sports all the time. It's it's more like a Howard Sterny type, and he's very funny on it. He, he's a very I don't know, he's got to be close to 80 now, and he's still on there, and he's still very funny. And he said, yeah, my son's making this movie. And, um, you know, he started talking about it. He didn't make the reference to the Hold Steady or anything when he was talking about it. That's how I first heard about it back in 2011. And then I just, I forgot all about the movie until, like, the last podcast we were talking about why did Michael Imperioli open up for the Hold Steady at the Brooklyn Bowl, and we're trying to figure out what the connection was. And I go, there is a connection. He kept bugging me, and I go... He was in the movie, <laughs> Stuck Between Stations. And then that's when we found out it was streaming on Tubi for free, and we both watched it. And um, why was Michael Imperioli... So he was in... So when he was very young, he played... He was in Goodfellas. Do you remember him in that? He played Spider. He played Spider, yeah. Who was a, a, who was a very big... Or is it a short, a small part, but it was a big part because it, he right. kind of uh, antagonized Joe Pesci. <laughs> <laughs> to the point and, and if you Jay Moore does a great he does the whole scene Jay Moore the comedian where he does Spider I thought you said I was okay Spider and he said no Spider I thought you said are you okay Spider and Jay Moore does it better than me he does a great imitation of the whole scene <laughs> but um why was Michael so Michael Imperioli shows out do you think he I'm thinking the parts he was in this movie were all shot in one day what do you think yeah I mean he's he's probably in the movie for about five minutes maybe six uh, I mean, his, yeah. his purpose in the movie basically is he plays a college professor who the, uh, the female lead is his, uh, like, uh, you know, like student teacher, kind of, like she's, she's training underneath him. And it's implied that they, they wind up sleeping together and, and the wife kind of catches on. That's like her, her part of the story. So he plays this college professor who's like just pops in briefly and, and then yeah. pops in a second later but he's not a major part of the movie i kind of got the impression that like he might have just did it because he was friends with somebody who made the movie that's the yeah. impression i got exactly um and we should say he's got he's got this is long-haired michael and kind of doughy michael imperioli yeah. he's kind of put yeah. on some weight got some long hair here 
Um, yeah, I feel he does do a lot of these small movies, though. Um, he's got another one like this where it's a kind of a gangster thing where they're running throughout the night, too. Um, and then Josh Hartnett, who you mentioned his film credits, he was in Black Hawk Down. He was in, um, well, he was opposite Ben Affleck in Pearl Harbor. <laughs> so, oh, yeah, 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 that's right. Yeah. yeah. So and he his, was a big deal. The, I think his part's the most confusing. Like, he pops in the movie and, and he's this, like, punk rock revolutionary guy who just gives the male lead, like, some crap, basically. Because, like, so the, the, the character Casper, played by Sam Rosen, is uh, a guy who just returned from Afghanistan. He's dealing with his father's estate. Um, his father just died. Yeah, yeah. The, the connection between him and the uh, and the female lead is they went to school together, and so they meet up um, by chance at um, at First Avenue, actually, which was kind of cool. And um, <laughs> they wind up having this night together, and like this guy just pops up to give him crap about like being in the war because he's like against that. And they go to that punk rock circus, which I'm actually kind of curious. Like, is that a thing? in Minneapolis because it was one of the coolest scenes it was a very cool scene it's not real as far as I know it looks like it was shot in the varsity theater is what I'm thinking I, I meant to look that up um yeah Josh Hartnett it leave me go, like, why is the scene in the movie <laughs> yeah. yes yes so we should yeah so this this movie starts the opening scene is in First Avenue, right? He's shoot they're shooting pool in First Avenue and he's drinking at a bar, which now I'm thinking <laughs> You've been to First Avenue. I don't think they have pool tables. And I don't... They don't. They don't. <laughs> and nobody goes there to drink. They make it feel like it's... Uh, like this whole movie takes place in one night. And I think it, they make it feel like it starts at uh, happy hour is what I get the feeling. Like they're at happy hour. Because there's hardly anybody, right. hardly anybody there. Which I don't think you can drink at happy hour. You can drink where we all met at the depot, which is inside of First Avenue. But it's not like in First Avenue itself. Um... So, the, but that I, that was cool. And then he goes and sits outside in First Avenue, and you see the stars, and they repaint the stars every couple of years. And that was two different iterations ago because they were like white puffy stars, and then they went to silver stars, and now they have the white non puffy stars. I don't know how to describe it, but it's interesting because I, I I actually questioned whether they were trying to recreate First Avenue because they the stars were not as I remember them when I was there. And yeah. now that makes sense. That's interesting. Yeah, every three or f whatever, how many years they repaint them, and um, so yeah, um, so they he meets or he sees a girl at First Avenue. He's back. Um, it doesn't make it if he's back from Afghanistan, if he's between tours, or if they just sent him back because his father just died. They didn't really make that clear. Oh, I, I couldn't tell if he was on leave or if he was between tours. I took it to mean he was on leave to deal with that. That's what I took it as, which really helps the title stuck between stations. He's kind of stuck between, you know, I, I thought that was pretty interesting. Um, I did like that opening scene where he, where he kind of like he sees the girl and you don't know what his relationship is with her. And and some guy's picking her up around the pool table and he goes, hey, you want to, you know, he tries to be the hero. And they don't even show the fight. If they have such a small budget. I don't think they they didn't want to choreograph a fight. You just see the after effects. They just show him, show him getting thrown out of the bar. They show him getting <laughs> thrown out of the bar. I did like that scene. He's talking on his cell phone, and he's like, I seen, what's her name, uh, in the, Rebecca? Becky or, Fine. Becky, Becky Fine. Yeah, he goes, I seen yeah. Becky Fine, and, and she comes walking up to him as he's talking on the phone, and I go, oh, they know each other. 
And this was my favorite part of the movie is it because it seemed most like real life where he remembered her from elementary and a little bit from high school and she didn't really remember him at all. And that's how it is in real life. One person right. always remembers clearly and the other person's like, I can kind of remember you or whatever. So I thought that was great because that was made an interesting dynamic to the rest of the. So they, they go on spending the rest of the night to each other. Like you said, some crazy things. I think Josh Hardnett's in the movie. Uh, he, like you said, he's got he's got a weird, he plays against type. He, he always played the pretty boy. And here he's kind of playing like uh, doing what Mickey Rourke did in The Wrestler. He just kind of looks like a mess in this movie. Kind of playing against right. this pretty boy type. And um, so they do, so what happens, it kind of reminded me, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Garden State. Where they have the towards, oh, okay. So the end of the movie, that's a Zach Braff's first movie, and at the end of that movie, they kind of have to go on all these crazy little missions, like in one time period, and that's kind of what this movie reminded me of. They go on these little, like missions. The favorite, like he's riding a BMX bike throughout the movie. That whole crew, he's got like a crew of friends, and like and, that was one of the elements where it's like, oh, this is this is like a whole steady song, like this is yeah. Like, he has a whole crew of, uh, crew, you know? yeah, like a, Josh. Go to that weird punk rock circus where it's like they're all punk rock kids, but there's people doing like Circus Soleil type. Circus Soleil, yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah, it's it's a wild scene. That's but you kind of like, well, where is this going? And it doesn't go anywhere. <laughs> it doesn't go anywhere except he leaves his BMX bike there. He walks away. <laughs> right. But um, right. yeah, so they're riding like uh. <laughs> Josh Hartnett, they have a little bicycle group. He's got a single speed, Josh Hartnett. When they, I like that shot where they're rolling, they're rolling down the Minneapolis Greenway there, which is like, it's called the Greenway, and it's like a freeway for pedestrians. There's on-ramps and off-ramps, but it's just for biking and jogging. Um, so that's what they, I really like that scene where, you know, they were showing off their camera skills, kind of showing them all rolling in slow motion, and she's she's standing on the back bags and laughing, and that, I, I like the... It was a good-looking scene, like you said. That the scenes don't really, some of the scenes don't go anywhere. Um, it really had the feelings of a first, like I said, a first movie to me. Um, I know some people were, some of the reviewers were put off by the split screen, which, which was kind of did put me off a little bit too. It was, it's, it was only just a little bit at the beginning of the movie. Um, not very high tech. Yeah. Not very high tech. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so it would have been better if they would have done cuts back and forth, I think, in those scenes. But It's cool to see a lot of the, the parts of the city, though. Like, So I'm pretty sure they go over the Hennepinander Bridge at one point. I, I thought I recognized that. If not, it's something that looks very similar. Well, they go over and, the Grain Belt Bridge. Right, that's the, well, that's, that's yep. Hennepinander, right? Yep, yeah, yeah. And, yep, so they do, that's and, a little hold steady reference to go through the boat over the Grain Belt Bridge into a brand new... There's another bar scene where they're playing Buck Hunter, and I, the way I remember it, and I could be wrong, I, I'm curious to see if you saw the scene, is um, is that CeCe's, the bar? It could be. You're right. I didn't... It, it looked a lot like it to me. It's a, so for me, it's like I've only ever been to Minneapolis once, and like watching this movie, it's like, hey, I think I've been there. Hey, I think I've been there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's just, yeah, so it's it's a very good, they go all over Minneapolis, um... Yeah, like I said, Josh Hartnett, I feel he was friends with somebody because he's from, the reason I know who he, he's from St. Paul. And he was, like I said, he was opposite Ben Affleck and Pearl Harbor. And then he just didn't want it anymore. He just, pretty, pretty, he walked away from Hollywood. And then, so he makes this movie afterwards where he's kind of against type, where he's, I guess he was being tired of being the pretty boy. And he, um, 
so he, he kind of walked away from it. And then um, I do like, like, we're not giving away that this movie's mostly, what would you call it, a character study, I would say? it's It doesn't really have a plot, per se. Pretty much, it, it reminded me a lot of, like, Dazed and Confused. You ever see the movie Dazed and Confused? Yeah. Where it's like, it's a hang, basically. You know? Yeah, like, hang, I like that, yeah. This group of people just go through their night. Um, but it does, it gets to a point um, at the end of the movie there, and it gets there in an interesting way. I, I thought it was pretty poignant. It's just that so much of the movie is not relevant to what they're trying to say. Yeah. Um, and the, the point is to get the, uh, the, the Casper character to talk about his experience in war. And the way they do that is they get the, the Becky character to tell a story of a traumatic experience that's without giving anything away. It's, it's a very traumatic experience. And it's like, wow, okay, that is the parallel to like what it must be like. Yeah. someone who's been through war. So I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. It's just you could probably do the movie in about 25 minutes. <laughs> yes. Of an hour. Yeah, exactly. There's like a whole, um, and I guess it was to give it physical comedy where she lost her computer and I go, oh, there, her computer must have something on it that's important because she leaves it at Michael Imperioli's house. And then Sam crawls up through his front top window and, and gets the computer. And then she's like, oh, you know, I got my computer back and I, I thought there was something on it that she needed or, you know, it's it just like she right. just needed her laptop back or whatever. But they, I think they, they, they kind of imply that like whatever it is she's working on, like dissertation, like a, like something you would work on for like an entire year or an entire period of your college time. Yeah. That's what she's getting back. Okay. They never really tell you what it is or what it's about. or Yeah. I, I thought it was going to be more poignant to the story. And I think they just did it for some fun. It was a fun action scene where, you know, some physical comedy there and stuff. And, um, and then that was it. And like you said, yeah, the ending's very poignant. And, um, I, I like the ending actually when it, cause it, the, both characters reviewed stories about them or background stories. And I go, Oh, that kind of explains why they were acting this way the whole movie. You know, you kind of get that after you hear the, their final stories. Um, so it's a very little movie. Um, <laughs> so are we going to get it? So, we, we can't say thumbs up or thumbs down. We don't, it was, but we can say stream it or not stream it. Do you think, what would you rate it? Would you rate it stream it or not stream it? And I think as a hold steady fan, just to, you know, to, if you're bored, sure, stream it. It's, it's not a terrible movie. It's not a great movie, but it's not a terrible movie. Yeah, I, I, I'm going to have to agree with you. I, I'd say stream it. I kind of, now that I'm talking about it, I kind of remember, see some of the things they were going for. Um, yeah, it's, it's a fun, it's a little movie. It's not going to be, like I said, it's, it doesn't have huge stars in it, you know, and the ones that are in it are just in it for a short time. It's kind of fun if you're into film. It's kind of fun to see somebody making their first film. It, it kind of gives a lot of that to me. I, kind of, the, It's not like uh, She's Got to Have It by, uh, by uh, Lee, <laughs> Spike Lee, but, you know, his first student film. But it's, it's a good little student film, I think. All right, so that's, like I said, Gasper, I think that's the first and last time we might review a movie on here. I'll, I thought I was going to float this by you. I think we should do a Positive Rage, kind of the, the documentary that Hold Steady had. Might have to review that sometime. Yeah. Might have to do that in upcoming episodes. we got a lot of stuff planned here. Um, Gasper, why don't you tell us where they can reach us on social media? Absolutely. So we have a new Facebook page. You can find us at the Hood Rat Recap Facebook page. And we are also on Twitter at Hood Rat Recap. Uh, it's just the at symbol and Hood Rat Recap. Uh, check us out on Twitter. 
and uh, we want to thank Dave for being our guest today. And uh, I'm Gasper, this is Mike, and Dave, and you guys, we are all the Hood Rat Recap. Yeah. There is so much joy in what we do up here. And Ebor City is thrice speedy, but they throw such killer parties. Killer parties almost kill me. Uh, killer parties almost kill me.